This episode is brought to you by Paramount Plus. Get in, loser! Mean Girls is now streaming on Paramount Plus. Join Katie Heron as she meets the plastics and Tina Fey's new twist on the modern classic. Get ready for more of the rumors, backstabbing, and jokes you loved from the original movie with some fetch surprises. Rated PG 13. Wear pink and head to ParamountPlus.com to try it free. RPN, the Roddenberry Podcast Network. Mission Log, a Roddenberry Star Trek podcast. Episode 319, Defiant. Welcome into Mission Log, a Roddenberry Star Trek podcast. I'm Thomas Champion. Wait, I thought Thomas was your middle name. Right, right, yeah, I'm John Champion, definitely not Thomas. Ah, okay, and I'm Thomas Ray. Wait, 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 wait. I I thought Thomas was your middle name. Yeah, I get that a lot. Anyway, each week on Mission Log, we watch an episode of Star Trek, taking it apart for ideas and ideals, and seeing whether the whole thing stands the test of time. This week, Defiant, the one with the Defiant. Also, the one with Thomas Riker. Also, the one that is a riff on the movie Failsafe. John's got trivia coming up in just a moment, but first, I'm going to let you know how to get in touch with us. Mission Log Pod is the address to find us on Facebook, Skype, and Twitter. If you'd like to leave us a voicemail, we would love to hear your voice. 323-522-5641 is the phone number to call. 323-522-5641. Our email address is missionlog at roddenberry.com. Our show website, including discovered documents, is at missionlogpodcast.com. And please do remember, we may use your comments on an upcoming episode of Mission Log. I'm going to go ahead right now and ruin one of the trivia things. It is so great to see Scott Frakes back on screen. <laughs> he's, he's the best, man. He when you is need, the best. Yeah. I mean, Jonathan Frakes is good. Mm-hmm. I, I don't want to take anything away from him, but Scott Frakes, I mean, he just, he crushes it. And I will bet you yeah. he could do a pretty good Jonathan Frakes. Yeah. No, when, when you do a stand, when, when the Jonathan Frakes won't do, and you need a stand, you, you call for Scott Frakes. You get him in there. Indeed. Yeah. And he shows up. Uh, I don't know if we'll actually say why we're talking about that, but what say you talk about trivia, sir? Today's episode, Defiant, was written by Ronald D. Moore. Not much more to say there, since Ron, by this point, is a go-to Star Trek writer and deeply associated with TNG and DS9. Now, this is just the third, though, of a long series of DS9 stories where he gets the credit. The Search Part 1 and The House of Cork were the first two. Many more to come, plus a couple of Voyager credits, too. Of course, I gave away one bit of trivia already, that Ron was heavily influenced by the Sidney Lumet movie, Failsafe. This was directed by Cliff Bowl, another very familiar name. Of course, he had more than two dozen TNG episodes under his eye as director. Some of his DS9 standouts so far that we have covered, Dramatis Personae, The Collaborator, Equilibrium, just a couple more to go before he jumps over to put his stamp on Voyager. Let's talk about guest stars. Now, of course, we have to say welcome back to Mark Alimo as Gold Ducat. And welcome Jonathan Frakes, or maybe Scott Frakes, as Thomas Riker. 
We mentioned last week that Meridian was the next to last episode of DS9 that he would direct, but it's good to see him here in front of the camera, too. We have a Maquis aboard the Defiant named Kalita, and you may remember that she was already introduced to us in the TNG episode Preemptive Strike. Here, again, she is played by Shannon Cochran. But hey, in addition to her many TV and feature film appearances like The Ring, NYPD Blue, and Seinfeld, we saw her in Star Trek Nemesis as one of the Romulan senators, Talora. And we will see her once more in DS9 in a different role. By the way, the other Maquis on board the Defiant, Tamal, is played by Michael Canavan. He and Shannon met on set for this episode and later got married. Finally, great to see Tricia O'Neill again on Star Trek. Here she is Carinus from the Obsidian Order. We met her before as Captain Garrett of the Enterprise C in Yesterday's Enterprise. She was also the Klingon Kurak in the TNG episode Suspicions. There are so many guest roles and feature appearances under her belt. Trisha appeared in Babylon 5, the A-Team, Hawaii Five-O, even the movie Titanic. This, though, is the last of her Trek appearances. It is William T. Riker, as you have never seen him before. I mean, except for that other time. Prologue. Major Kira is somewhat overworked and way overstressed. You know what might help her relax? Being relieved of duty, doctor's orders. His prescription, juice, a jamja stick, a few spins at the Dabo table, and some time in the hollow suite. It seems unlikely that any of that will help her relax, though some time with Commander William T. Riker just might. Because, yeah, number one is in the house. Act one. Meeting with Cisco, Riker says he's actually on DS9 for R&R. Well, he's on R&R on his way to Risa. But he figured he'd spend some time at DS9 on the way, maybe give the Dabo wheel a spin. In Ops, Kira is preoccupied by Riker's presence, while Dax is preoccupied with Kira's preoccupation. Kira seems kind of into Riker, though she does have a boyfriend. It takes Riker a moment to remember Dax. They met the last time he was on DS9, but their greeting is warm. Can't say the same for Riker and O'Brien. Number one is hostile toward the engineer, shutting him down almost as soon as he says hello. They say hello, by the way, on board the Defiant. Riker's heard it's kind of cool, wants to check it out. The way power's rooted is nifty. From a security side, it's locked up tighter than a tick. Kira gives Riker clearance, and now the game begins. Riker pulls a phaser and stuns Kira. Then, he beams a couple of other people to the Defiant. An alert in Ops. The Defiant's warp core is about to breach. Riker hails Ops. Kira's been injured. There's a warp core breach, but we can get the Defiant away from DS9 before it blows. Then they can be beamed out. Ops clears Defiant for the move, but when he pushes off, Riker takes the Defiant to warp. Now time to sit back, relax, head for the Badlands, and pull off part of his beard? Wait a second. That's not William T. Riker. That's W. Thomas Riker. Act 2. Hey, remember that time they found Riker, who'd been created by a transporter malfunction and left on his own for close to a decade, then found out the life he'd hoped to get back to had been lived by his duplicate, who had no idea he'd existed, but he lived it in kind of a lackluster way in the estimation of the abandoned Riker? Yeah, the abandoned Riker has stolen the Defiant. He was able to beat security because, hi, he is Riker. 
just a different one who is literally exactly the same. Odo and Sisko are telling all of this to Gul Dukat. They thought he should know that Thomas Riker has been exhibiting Maquis sympathies and has stolen the incredibly powerful Defiant. Now, I know what you're thinking. Cardassia should send ships into the demilitarized zone to stop the Defiant. Cisco's cool with that, but it really needs to be a Cardassian Federation thing together. Dukat says Central Command won't go for that. This whole thing will look to them like Starfleet gave Defiant to the Maquis. Oh, Dukat doesn't think so. But all of this spells escalation in his opinion. So yeah, he gets the whole let's work together thing. But he'll need some sort of proof. A show of good faith. That'll be Cisco. He helped design the Defiant? He knows the ship's weaknesses. He will help the Cardassians neutralize the threat without neutralizing any of the people posing it. And without destroying the Defiant. On the Defiant, Thomas and Kira are talking over their situation. Well, they were. Now they've reached some rendezvous with other Maquis ships. They are all headed to the Cardassian border. Act 3. Sisko and Dukat are on Cardassia Prime, primed to hunt down the Defiant. Dukat is briefing Sisko on his operation when Karinas comes in. She's from the Obsidian Order, and she is not happy about Sisko being there. Anyway, why don't you tell us about the Defiant? Okay, says Sisko. Let me start with something I didn't tell Dukat. The Defiant has a Romulan cloaking device. Karinas already knew this because, hi, Obsidian Order. Dukat's angry that the Order never bothered to tell the Central Command about the cloaking device, but what's done is done. They have a bigger problem. How are they going to track a ship with a cloaking device? It will, of course, involve teching the tech. Scan with an anti-proton beam, and you may be able to track the Defiant, just like the Dominion did a few episodes ago. On the Defiant, they're approaching the security perimeter. Central Command picks up activity on the perimeter. It is the Defiant. And this makes no sense to Sisko. Why would Riker approach uncloaked? This is a distraction. Dukat has ordered all ships in the area to converge on the Defiant. But Sisko thinks that's not the Defiant. That ship is just sending out signals to make it seem to be the Defiant. Sure enough, the real Defiant decloaks along another part of the perimeter, destroys Cardassian Outpost 47, then cloaks again though not before setting a course for the heart of Cardassian space. On the Defiant, Riker tells the helm to set a course for the shipyard at Omecla 3, though that order is barely uttered when there's an explosion. Internal. Power and cloak are offline. Kira has sabotaged the Defiant. Act 4. Kira took damage sabotaging the Defiant, though she'll be fine. Plus, it gives her a chance to yell at Riker, he says she should get why he's doing this. She fought the Cardassians for years. But the Cardassians invaded her homeworld. Riker's going out looking for a fight. The one he's found? It's going to get a lot of people killed. Senselessly. At Central Command, Sisko's trying to figure out why they've not seen the Defiant anywhere else along the border. Could it be headed deeper into Cardassian space? Like Dukat said earlier... You'll have to pardon Dukat's distraction. He was thinking about his son's 11th birthday, which is today. Sisko and Dukat share a moment about how tough it is working and having kids. Sisko says you hope that one day they understand. Though Dukat says when his son remembers this day, 
his birthday, he'll remember that his dad was working with a Federation officer to stop a Federation invasion of his home territory. And he will remember it with hate. And that makes Ducat sad. Back on the Defiant, the cloak is working again, though the damage caused by Kira might make the ship easier for the Cardassians to track. But they gotta take that chance. Resume course to Omecla 3. That doesn't make sense to Kira. Riker lets her in on the secret. Omecla 3 is a misdirect. They're really going to the Orias system, where the Maquis have heard that hardliners in the Obsidian Order are building a military presence outside the control of Central Command. Riker thinks they're building an invasion fleet. Kira thinks he's loopy. She also thinks he's a bad terrorist. If he was a good terrorist, I mean, an effective terrorist, he'd be wreaking havoc with the Defiant, not working on a plan. Back at Central Command, Sisko is starting to see Riker's plan in action. He's drawing ships away from Orias 3. Ducat thinks that's loopy. There is nothing on Orias 3 but he'll order a ship there to check it out. This order interrupted by the Obsidian Order's Carinas, who says that that area is under direct control of the order and off-limits to anyone else. Any ship that goes there will face consequences. Act 5. Dukat can't get anything from anyone about what might be happening in the Orias system, until he has proof, he can't pull ships from more obvious targets, even if it does look like that's where Defiant is headed. Meanwhile, they get word that a Galore-class ship, the Kraxon, has spotted something that might be the Defiant. When it makes a break for it, the Kraxon gives pursuit straight for the Orias system. Ducat orders the rest of the ships in the area to follow suit. Karina's threat was real, though. Three more ships are coming at the Defiant from the Orias sector. Military ships, though not under Cardassian military control. The Obsidian Order is forbidden from having any military equipment. But here they are. Facing overwhelming odds, Riker is still headed to the Orias system. And Kira has had it. You're going to get us killed. You have to make a break for it. Thomas says maybe that's what Will Riker would do, but he's not Will Riker. And now Kira thinks that's what this is about setting himself apart from himself. He says that's not it, then orders them on to Arias. Well, this is going to mean war, unless they can stop it. Sisko has a plan, which he shares with Dukat. Let Riker surrender. The Federation gets the Defiant, Kira, and the crew, and Dukat gets the Defiant's logs with the information Dukat wants about what the Obsidian Order is up to on Arias 3. Ducat's cool with it, as long as the Cardassians get to keep Riker. Sisko's cool with that, as long as Riker's sentence is not death. After a short fight, Ducat and Sisko hailed the Defiant and proposed the plan to Riker, the one where everyone goes back to Federation space except him. Kira talks it over with Tom. His mission is over. He can surrender. Or he can die. Don't take everybody else with you. Defiant is ordered to rendezvous with Kraxon after Riker agrees. Things do get tense, though. For a moment, it looks like the Obsidian Order ships that had been pursuing the Defiant might fire on the Kraxon. In the end, though, they break off. Riker turns command of the Defiant over to Kira, 
She promises to get Tom out of whatever Cardassian prison they put him in. He plants a surprising kiss on Kira, then beams away. The end. Man, thank you so much for nailing uh, Outpost 47 so I didn't have to in the comments. 47? 47! I know, because that's a thing. I don't know if you you ever picked up on it, but that's like a thing in Star Trek. It's so weird that they would drop that in there. And and apparently there there are actually a few more in the episode. You have the number 47 kind of buried in other places. But they really, they so hit Outpost 47. Well, they destroyed it. Oh, did, oh, you yeah. mean the writers? Yeah, okay, I get the it. Right, yeah, yeah. Right. Uh-huh. that's, yeah. yeah. Um, hey, let's go back to the top of the episode, though. Uh, opposite DS9 and this is kind of like a concierge desk at a really busy hotel. It's like you got the Shriners, uh, they're in the tropical room, and then uh, uh, and you got like an Amway convention, they're happening in the other room, and it's just total chaos. Although, where did he start off? He started off in Quarks, actually. Mm-hmm, Yeah. Riker did. So, I mean, he didn't just, like, come in there. In fact, it's kind of weird that he didn't go there first. Well, he'd go up to ops first? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, he's a a visiting. He's the same rank as as, um, as Cisco. Sure, but he he doesn't want to get involved in that. I mean, all they're doing is just they're they're punching buttons going like, oh, we got to move these guys. And then these people have a shipment coming in. And then the other people want room here. I I wouldn't want to deal with that. I'd go straight to Quarks myself, too. That's exactly well, I would too, right. except I would think in a, as we say, a quasi-military organization, somebody of equal rank as the guy who's commanding the ship, yeah. or the space station, rather, it might be good to stop by and say, hey. Yeah, sure. Well, sure. Yeah. It's, well, Riker, either Riker has a certain sense of informality, I guess. Maybe maybe that's what they're pushing here. Yeah. And then, uh, Kira, I, you know, I, I wish my days off were like hers, where people literally, they bring her and they sit her down, say, here, I'm taking you to this bar, and here's some money and some snacks and some games. And uh, and what is she, like, for? Like, here's your Jumja stick. And here's your juice, you know. The jump just stick was kind of weird. Yeah. I will say, um, in fairness, yeah, we're we're going to Las Vegas for work. Oh, yeah, that's kind yeah. of the same thing. So, I yeah. mean, honestly, your job every now and then yeah. is a bit like that. Yeah. <laughs> uh, it's true. I I will say the thing that was weird to me was like, uh, here's this. Here like, we get you. We got your food. We got your drinks. We got yeah. Here's some spin to the Dabo table. Oh look, Major Kira. Here's some time in a hollow suite. <laughs> <laughs> did 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 nobody remember what happened last week? Out of curiosity, I, I think yeah. Quark is just still up to that. He's trying to make good with uh, with Jeffrey Combs' character from last yeah, week. Yeah, yeah, with Tehran. He's trying to get that latinum. Yeah, trying to get that latinum. That's <laughs> that's that's a T-shirt. If we were still selling T-shirts, oh <laughs> uh, yeah, that needs to happen. Yeah, we we might still sell a T-shirt or two. Hey, uh, did so like Kira and Riker didn't know each other because she says, "Oh, I met him last night at Quarks." But but even that moment when he first walks in, there's this this look on her face. Like I don't know, has she been? reading about will riker is this just like a like a thing is he that famous i mean there are a couple of things i would think you could say i mean first of all they might just be showing the viewer right the directors the writers might be showing the viewer hey look it's that guy you like so much you're excited yeah yeah um conversely there is a there's a swagger about william t riker sure uh, that you assume that thomas riker would have as well 
that I know there are lots of people who find that attractive. And I'm not saying that not for me personally, because I've been able to like have that swagger, I think maybe twice in my life, Hmm. but I know lots of people who like, you know, still, uh, uh, William Riker is like, is their idea of, of like, you know, a dude's dude. He's the man. He's, he's what you would be drawn to. So she might just be that excited because he's like, oh, I hope you I hope you have time for the unexpected. And, you know, that may just like push whatever button in her head. And she's like, yes, I do. <laughs> and if I don't, I will make time because I got nothing on nothing. Yeah. Or, yeah. or I or I could have nothing on in a few. Oh, <clears throat> sorry. OK, here's what I wonder about. So Dax does know William Riker. Yes. Uh, they met last year. Do do you think they just like talk about when he was like a like a host? Oh, for like a minute, for like for one episode, how he was because he was a trill or he was a host. It was a symbiont thing, and then of course later they did the whole thing. Like, well, no, we raise up the hosts and they got spots on them. That's how you can yeah. tell. Yeah, yeah, because Riker was a host. Yeah, that's good. Well, they got that in common. That's you know that, that's a good thing to be able to talk about. Sure. Yeah, sure. I guess so. Yeah. Um, Love's Lost mentioned in this episode, uh, though not by name. My son is dating one of the Dabo girls. Very important. Mm. You can tell because he remembers exactly what her name is. Yeah. And uh, <laughs> and Kira's like, I'm involved with uh, Ved... What is that guy's name? Oh, he comes around. He's kind of creepy, but I really uh-huh. seem to like him when he's on screen. Yeah. Yeah, it's <laughs> so good it was, to remember that there are relationships. Yeah, yeah, on. it was played perfectly. Yeah, um, he, uh, does the the transporter? The transporter can weed out things like bad bacteria, stuff like that. If you may, does it also detect fake beard? Well, it detects clothing. Oh, oh, okay. So, oh, look, you, you've got your uniform, and now you got face clothing. Right. Uh, that we're just okay. All right. That's 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 sort of my thinking. It's held on with spirit gum and whatever yeah. else. Yeah. Uh, quick question: Is this the first time that we've heard that Cisco helped design the Defiant? So I'm I'm glad you brought that up. I'm going to say yes because all we know is that he was just gone for a few months, and then he shows up cloaked, like, "Oh, I'm going to freak you guys out." Right. Well, yeah. no, but the Defiant was older than that. He wasn't gone building the Defiant because no, that, that, that's the what Defiant I mean. was built yeah. for Wolf Three Five Nine. Right. Right. Or, or right after Wolf Three Five Nine, which, if we all remember. Um, Cisco pretty much spent the time between that and when he met the prophets, practically comatose. Right, right. So I, I, I don't know when that would have fallen in the timeline. It's just like, this is terrible. I went through Wolf 359. It was awful. I lost my wife and my entire crew. I'm going to go build a ship, and then I'm going to... Uh... Well, building a ship for vengeance would actually make sense. Um, do you know why we have the crow, the comic book, The Crow? No, no. Uh, Jay Obar's uh, wife was, uh, not wife, I'm sorry, fiance, was killed uh, by a drunk driver. Mm. And Jay Obar mm. became obsessed with revenge, became obsessed with the idea of revenge. Mm. And so he made The Crow, which, of course, is a guy who comes back from the dead to avenge, you know, um, his uh, fiance, I believe, or wife, yeah. uh, who had been murdered. And, you know, a lot of people said later, well, gee, that must have been really therapeutic for you. And he was like, actually, it was probably really bad for me to spend years just fixated on vengeance. 
Mm-hmm. It was never going to do any good for me anyway. But you could totally see Cisco doing that. I just wish they had told us before. Like oh, if nice. after if after the Battle of Wolf three five nine, because he'd be sitting there going, "Yeah, it's going to have guns and more guns and more <laughs> guns and shields," and then and then if it accidentally fires on the Enterprise, well, that'll be too bad. But you know, yeah. guns is really what I'm thinking about. More guns. I mean, I have yeah. no problem believing that that would be a thing. It's just weird to hear for the first time. <laughs> like. Like after this episode, I'm going to be like, so are there any more secrets about the Defiant? Because it was the one where it existed. <laughs> there was the one where it had cloaking, uh, cloaking device. Uh, yeah. There's the one where it turns out you drew it, which is yeah. great. I love yeah. that. I'd love to see that kind of, you know, thing going on here in DS9. Any other secrets about the Defiant? I know. So, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah, that that kind of caught me by surprise as well. Yeah. Hey, uh, with, with all the stuff that's been said about Dukat, and I, I just really, you know, I look forward to any time that we get Gold Dukat in an episode. Um, but with all the stuff that's been said about him in the past and, and his relationship with the Cardassians and the Obsidian Order and everybody else, he still does pretty much have free run of that super powerful base. And I'm wondering... Did he get to see that video of his superior smack talking him? You know, I, I, I just I, I keep thinking about, OK, here, here's Gold Dukat. He, he's a military leader. He's got free run of this place. He, he can kind of, you know, make calls. But does he know that there are other people at his rank or a higher who just think that he's uh, not that good um, or, or that he's untrustable or unworthy? You know, I mean, even they're right to his face. Karina says, oh, I only wish we had somebody with such keen tactical instincts talking to uh, Cisco, basically throwing Dukat under the bus. And it's like, I want Dukat to say, hey, I'm, I, I'm here. I'm good at my job. Really, I am. Well, I mean, she's obviously trying to undercut him there, right? Yeah. This is not the first time that we've seen that, though. I mean, there was also the guy who was like, well, obviously, Dukat, you're a loser and you're trying to leave. <laughs> right, yeah. And I know that's going to happen so much that I'm making a videotape talking mm-hmm. about it. So mm-hmm. but wasn't there something in the first season where where something was revealed that Dukat was like, wow, I had not heard about that. Oh, yeah. I yeah, can't remember which episode it was. Yeah. yeah. All kinds of secrets they keep from him. Yeah. Yeah. He may be weird. crap. He may be the worst. He may be like yeah. the guy who ran Hogan's Heroes. <laughs> well, not Hogan's <laughs> Heroes, because that was Hogan. But He's I mean, Colonel he may Clink. be the guy. Yeah, he may be Colonel Clink. He may, wow. he may honestly be Colonel Clink, but we don't know because, you know... Where the guy sitting on Deep Space Nine, we're like, oh, the scary Cardassian's back. And it turns out he's the worst Cardassian. Right. He's like, in, he's like the invader Zim of the Cardassians. Oh, oh, wow. All right. That's that's good. That's Thank a very you. good one. Yeah. Thank you. Hey, uh, another thing we learned in here. So uh, Cisco designed the Defiant. Uh, but one thing he didn't design for is you can disable a starship, this one in particular, with a replicator. Mm. I mean, that's impressive. <laughs> also reinforces to me that the replicator is truly the most dangerous piece of technology in the 24th century. And again, the kind of uh, the kind of secret that Cisco might want to share about the Defiant when asked. Sure. Sure, he might. Yeah. Hey, uh, the Cardassians have their own version of Disneyland. Because I, I assume it, it, it has, A, something like a mandatory fun level under threat of torture. Uh, but Lacarian City, I'm very curious about it. It's like Orlando to me. Uh, Goldicott says, I'm going to take my boy, Mikor. He turns 11. We're going to go to Lacarian City. And it'll be great. Everything is sort of in gray tones. And uh, 
sort of uh, reptilian scaly, but it's beautiful, and that's where families go. Right. You know? it's, uh, it's actually, so the, the, the history museum in Lakarian City, by the way, uh, seven mm-hmm. levels, all the exact same history on each level. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's, that's <laughs> about the Cardassian novel, by the way. That's a, that, that's. A, Awesome. It's repetitive. repetitive. Yeah, it yeah, is. Right. And, and yeah. redundant. I and think. redundant, yes. Um, I got to say, I would love to hear Will Riker's reaction to news that Tom is in a Cardassian prison. <laughs> I'm going to guess it's something along the lines of, good, idiot. I think that would yeah. probably be it. It probably pretty much be the whole thing. You just summed up like a whole book that they yeah, would right. read. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Tom the Moron by William T. Riker. Yeah. No relation. Yeah. Also, I got to say, I'm really looking forward to seeing the uh, seemingly inevitable half-human, half-Cardassian played by Frakes in the mm-hmm. Picard series. Something like, uh, you know, something uh, in a Sila, but for men. I'm, I think that's going to be probably the breakaway character from, uh, from Picard. I can't wait. We got the perfect actor. Just call Scott Frakes. Scott Frakes, ladies and gentlemen. Scott Frakes. Remember a couple of episodes ago when Gal Dukat tried to take over DS9? I am not sure that Ducat is the Cardassian I would call. So why is Riker angry at O'Brien? And why would O'Brien know that? Um, And now here's the thing. At first, I thought it was going to be a joke. I thought this was going to be like Han meeting Lando in The Empire Strikes Back. uh, Wait a minute. If I had known we were going to talk about that, I would have had my cape. Oh, you should have gotten your cape. Of course. You have a Lando cape. Yeah. Because then I could have said, well, you slimy, no good, double-crossing swindler. See? Perfect. Perfect. And when we all saw that in 1980, or whenever you saw Empire Strikes Back for the first time, I mean, I heard Han talk up his friend Lando, and you're like, oh, Lando's going to be great. And he's going to step off the ship, and they're going to hug, and it'll be awesome. We have a new ally. But then they had that bit, which Billy D. Williams played totally straight, and you're like oh, man, Lando is serious, and uh, he is about to cause a problem for Han Solo. But it was like, oh, we're going to laugh about it. This is how we talk to each other. Isn't that cute? I thought we were actually going to get that here because mm. uh, that just seemed like a thing. It's like, who who has animosity uh, with O'Brien like that? Well, my assumption, and I, I assume this is what you came to, is William Riker has no animosity with O'Brien, nor vice versa. Mm-hmm. But Thomas Riker knows that William and and Miles share too much history. Yeah. So all it takes is like two times of Miles going, really? You don't, you don't remember that time you took over the Enterprise? <laughs> That's weird. Really? You don't remember? Uh-huh. You don't remember what I wore to my wedding? Yeah. That's strange. I mean, it only takes like two times or three times for him to go... I'm not sure you're William Riker, or if you are, maybe you've suffered a head injury, or, you know, there's something else going on here. And, and what is the deal with your beard? Yeah. And what's the deal with your beard? What is that, like, glue? Mm-hmm. Or is it glue holding on part of your... Yeah, so my assumption was basically he was just, like, making something incredibly uncomfortable and saying, you know what you did, I don't want to talk about it, get out of my face. Yeah. You know, because he does still outrank him. Sure. 
Sure. And so, so pretty much he has to get out of his face at that point. That, that is the only sensible conclusion to come here, too. And, yeah, they, they sell it kind of with that confused look that O'Brien has on his face after you see him leave the Defiant. And he's still trying to process what just happened. And, and that's the only thing you can come up with. This is Thomas Riker thinking on his feet, although maybe he was saving that literally for anybody. So he could have come to DS9 and not known, like, maybe Beverly Crusher uh, uh, also is taking leave and maybe she's going to be there and he runs into her like don't talk to me bev you know what you did to me and then off he goes yeah pretty much the only two that that doesn't work with are loxana and deanna troy yeah 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 true because even another um another um another uh, beta zed might know that he's up to something but wouldn't know up oh, no that's not the guy that's not who you think it is that's another dude right right, right. just be like oh he i'd keep an eye on that one yeah <laughs> So well, let's talk about Tom Riker, uh, the, the character here, because we haven't seen him in a while. You know, and they it, very fortunately in this episode, they give us the exposition that we need and that Gul Dukat needs. Um, but we don't know what he's been up to. It's been uh, a couple of years. And it, it seems to me he's like a lot of Starfleet officers who went off the rails. Uh, see also Ron Tracy, uh, Commodore Decker, Admiral Jameson, Captain Jellicoe, you know, driven partly in this case by ideology, maybe, and, and partly by this selfish drive to stand out and to fix what he thinks is broken, in this case himself, uh, but, but to be this hero. And there's a lot of, uh, there's a lot of nurture overtaking nature here. And, uh, and we like to think that, you know, by nature, Riker, the Riker that we know, you know he's just a good guy and, and he'll do what's morally right. And, and then this one does finally do what is right, but only when his back is against the wall and and everything else has failed around him. Um, but everything that he does up to that point is driven by, like I said, this weird combination of maybe he's got an ideological stake in it, but but maybe this is all about ego and setting himself apart and all this kind of uh, uh, psychoanalysis that Kira lays on him. But I think it was interesting here is, you know, rightfully, we, we have some sympathy for him. Like, we don't want him to die at the end. We're glad that, uh, <laughs> that Cisco saves his neck and says, well, you can have him, just don't kill him. But we're pulling for him to do the right thing. Mm-hmm. And I just wonder, you know, it, 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 this is a, it's a tough thing. It's a challenging thing. I, I think it's challenging because with William Riker, we go like, well, he's always going to make the right decision. He's always going to to do what is moral, what is right. He, he's he's a hero. But given the opportunity to take that same person and just mess with his life a little bit, strand him for a little while, that goes out the window. And that that so psychologically damages somebody that uh, that then he's going to do horrible things and put people in danger uh, in order to elevate or differentiate himself or get whatever it is that he's getting out of this. Do you buy it? Do I buy that that's what he wants? Well, I mean, we saw uh, William Riker for seven years, right? Mm -hmm. We saw Thomas Riker having been by himself for seven years, but everything that Deanna gets off him is, I mean, sure, he's been through a lot in that he hasn't been through much at all. I mean, he's been there by himself the whole time. But, Mm -hmm. I mean, she, doesn't she end up actually... Don't they go on a date? 
Yeah. Don't so, they, don't sure, they spend yeah. time together? I mean, yeah. you, you don't get the sense. I mean, while a lot has happened, you don't get the sense that he is uh, incredibly damaged after that. And yet now he's apparently been damaged enough by it that he's looking for shortcut to hero as opposed yeah. to the character that we last saw of Thomas Riker was going to go off and, and make his own way in Starfleet, chose a different path, chose a different course, mm-hmm. and uh, and was going to uh, was going to try to pick up where he, uh, unfortunately, as far as he knew, left off. Yeah. Well, and, and I guess, you know, here's the thing with uh, you, you take Ronald D. Moore and say, hey, we have this character, Thomas Riker, um, go do something with him. And do you <laughs> do you immediately go this path and say like, oh, well, he's been really damaged by this whole experience and he is willing to uh, risk others and potentially risk this war uh, because he wants to differentiate himself, be this anti-hero um, and, and that's what we're going to do with him. Or we're going to say, well, no, he, he actually, he, he is Riker. Riker is admirable. Riker has these good qualities. He can get his act together. And even though he's been through this horrible ordeal, um, he's still okay in the end. He's still going to be all right. Even if what he ends up doing is different from William T. Riker. Hmm. Can I ask you about uh, something else? Let's talk about something else. So the conversation about terrorism between uh, Riker and Kira mm-hmm. uh, seemed overly simplistic to me. Well, it was all of about 20 seconds. Right. Okay. Yeah. So it wasn't yeah. just me then. No, I mean, I'm glad that they had that conversation in there because when you introduce Kira into the mix, mm-hmm. You you have to address that. <laughs> you have to address the idea that she was a terrorist, um, and and she she gladly talks about what she did and why she did it. Uh, mm-hmm. That has been a through line for the last two and a half years that that we have dealt with her. So you have to address it, but it seems like a little bit of an afterthought. Like oh, we have to address that somehow, and. We just need to let Thomas Riker carry on with what he's doing. See, what's weird to me is she seems to think that terrorists commit terror just to commit terror, which is weird mm-hmm. because by her own admission, she was a terrorist. And I assume that that was not just to, like, you know, be a thorn in the side of Cardassia. Mm-hmm. It was to rid Bajor of the occupying force that was the Cardassians, right? Yeah. All right. So then she's all like, wow, you're not much of a terrorist because you should be out committing terror as opposed to having a plan that you're working like some Starfleet something or other. I mean, I I hated that line. Yeah, (laughs) I hated that. But it goes it goes a tiny bit. I mean, to me, it goes a tiny bit. The part that the problem that I have with it to say that terrorists are just terrorists, that they that they do what they do just, you know, just to commit terror. Right. Mm. Is 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 I think not the way to look at it. Um, I think terrorism is indefensible. I don't think it's random in the mind of the terrorist, right? Of I mean, course, I th- yeah. I yeah. think it's stupid. I think it's wrong. But I think that they think they know why they're doing it. And and to not consider the reasons that they're considering, that's senseless. I mean, to not try to understand why they're doing what they're doing, that's crazy. And I'm not saying because mm. because then you can fix it and make everything better. Then at least you could understand why. And so for her argument to be, you know, if you were any kind of terrorist, you would just be blowing stuff up. 
without, you know, without really thinking about what the step is after that, the step is after that, the step is after that. It struck me as an oversimplification um, yeah. that I I worry sometimes that we do that in real life. When people do things that are that are terrible, um, we just go, well, they're just terrible people. They're just terrible people. Well, that might be true a lot of times, but even in those cases, there's a chance that they think that they're doing something for a reason. And to know what that reason is, I mean, heck, I mean, even if you want to keep treating them as an absolute enemy, that even that's fine. But know why your enemy is doing what your enemy is doing. Just don't just go, well, they're just like that. Because at that point, you might as well just stay home. Yeah. Um, and there's one other thing I wonder about. Uh, Takira's point about Riker choosing a cause that is not strictly speaking his. Mm-hmm. What do you make of her assertion that Riker doesn't belong there because it's not his fight? Mm. Yeah. I, it, here's the thing, though. Star Trek has played a little fast and loose with uh, with the Maquis and Starfleet's or Starfleet uh, personnel's connection to the Maquis, etc. I don't think it's out of the question that Thomas Riker would find a cause. I don't think it's out of the question that anybody can find a cause, even if it doesn't directly affect them. People get sucked into all kinds of weird beliefs and causes because it sounds like the right thing at the time. There's some appeal to it. And, and like we were saying, what is it that drives this Riker? Well, a big part of it is ego. A big part of it is setting himself apart, is just being his own person out from the shadow of William T. Riker. So if this is a convenient thing for him to hang his hat on and say, I'm, I, I, I will be known for this. Well, it, it could have been anything. The Maquis is convenient at that point to be the thing that he will take on. Could have been any other number of causes. Look, it, it could have been to uh, to save whales. How great would it have been if it had been that? You know? It'd be interesting, although it'd be surprising to go to the heart of Cardassian space to save the whales. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But in yeah. this case, unfortunately, as we see in the real world, it, there are uh, ideologically driven, uh, hardline and terroristic groups that are able to drag in followers that you wouldn't necessarily expect would be the ones who would get taken in by it. See, there are a couple of things that I was thinking about when she said that. I mean, because it can go either way. I mean, Mm -hmm. one is, this isn't your fight. Why are you getting involved? See, also, I'm joining some terrorist organization that has absolutely nothing to do with anything that I have anything to do with Mm -hmm. because it does speak to me. And that I think we would all agree that's kind of maybe not the best thing to do. At the same time, um, we will let atrocities happen and not really think that much about it because it doesn't affect me. So, yeah. I mean, it, it's just a weird thing. I, I guess I guess here's what I keep wondering about Kira. And really what I'm wondering about is Ronald D. Moore. Did he have a clear idea of what was going on in this episode or was he, like Kira, just throwing stuff at the wall until something stuck? Because Kira thinks he's not much of a terrorist because he's, you know, following a plan. And then she thinks his plan is silly. And then she thinks he's trying to, like, he's just trying to show that he's just as good as William T. Riker. And that seems to be the one that hits. But then everything else that she says, is it just word salad? Is she basically just trying to talk him into stumbling so that she can find whatever, whatever, you know, weakness in his armor and, and, and plunge the dagger? I don't think it was a bad way to look at it. I mean, uh, it... If that is the one recourse that Kira has, look, she already tried to damage the ship enough they couldn't go anywhere. Mm-hmm. So if the one recourse she's got is to to 
talk him to death, <laughs> you know. Uh, so almost a little bit of uh, Kirk word jujitsu there at that point. Like, I'm going to keep pushing and I keep needling at what it is that is driving you until you realize that your position is untenable. Um, maybe. Or, you know, let, let, let's at least in this case, we can give Ron Moore the credit, the, the benefit of the doubt and say, well, if as the writer, you're struggling with that idea and you're throwing all of those walls at the at, uh, throwing all of those ideas at the wall, let's let the character throw all those ideas at the wall, too. Hmm. What do you say we kiss this whole thing goodbye? Oh, Ken. Look at oh, you with the segue. John. Uh, that that ending, that kiss. I just, oh man, I'm trying so hard. And and the only justification, like you were talking about earlier in our show, the swagger. Well, you, you Kira has not met Riker, but I'm just going to assume that she knows something about him because in he walks and he's got that smirk on his face and she's just suddenly interested um and that is the the uh, the writers telegraphing to the audience william Riker, he's still got it and we've gone through all of this stuff now with thomas Riker, and as far different as thomas Riker is from william Riker, they felt for some reason at the end of the show they just had to say now remember folks Riker's a player goodbye <laughs> Just it, just something that uh, it already seemed overplayed from the top of the show with sort of the the, the giggling and the winking and innuendo about him. Um, I, I wish that it hadn't ended that way. With the Defiant back and the defiant one in a prison camp it is time to see what we can take from defiant defiant john defiant not the defiant no okay because the defiant would refer to the ship it would okay yes but we're saying defiant not referring to the ship? Well, maybe. I mean, certainly it would refer to the ship, but it might also have to do with uh, with uh, with Thomas Riker, hmm. who, who is a tiny bit uh, defiant. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So that's that. And uh, now we talk yeah. about the rest of it. Uh, the, the the messages, the ideas, the ideals. Whether the episode holds up as far as uh, as far as we personally are concerned, as far as you personally are concerned, John, uh, defiant does this episode hold up? Yeah, I, I think it's, well, it is a difficult thing. It's where you go, okay, this produced well, it held my attention, there was good action in it. Um, I have to say that I'm more interested in the Cardassians than I am in the Dominion, so I always like seeing them coming back, and I like seeing Goldicott. I like the complexity, and I like the relatability to real-world uh, adversaries and, and politically complex and problematic uh, places. I also like that they show chinks in the armor with the Cardassians, that, that they've developed a system so complex and so built on deceit that it can't help but start to crumble. Now, it might not in their lifetimes, but the erosion is there. That, that's what's we we always get hints of that when somebody on the inside is dissatisfied with what's happening or they start to question the order that they have and uh and we we see at least the the idea that it may not always stay the way it has been 
Now, as far as Thomas Riker, all right, it's great to see Jonathan Frakes back so soon. And it's great to follow up on a loose story thread. Was this the best use of him? And I, I'm honestly not so sure. You know, is he the good guy? Is he the bad guy? Well, that's an interesting thing to play with. Uh, he Is he doing what he, what is right because he has no other choice at the end here? So are, are we left with something just sort of you know, morally questionable or, or irrelevant at the end because it's just a guy who got stuck and, and had to do this thing. Uh, and by doing the thing, I mean being taken prisoner by the Cardassians. Um, so it, it's a good show for political intrigue, espionage, and to bring back that familiar face. And, and again, great production value. So you have scenes at DS9, you have scenes on the Defiant, you have that Cardassian command, which is a great set, uh, and part of it done with miniature, which I would say is, is seamless watching this. Um, so all of that is there. I'm just kind of left going like, well, I, I know I'm not going to see Thomas Riker again. Mm-hmm. It, it, is that really like was it worth it was it worth it to tell this story and and i'm not totally sure that uh that i think it was so taken completely out of context i can go good episode great production value good performances good political stuff great to see gold but because i know i'm not getting more thomas Riker, i just kind of think like yeah, it, it it sort of it, it just becomes this weird little footnote. So I'm I'm a little torn about whether it holds up as as a piece of Star Trek lore, but just as a produced episode, sure, it's fun. How about you? Yeah, we reach. I mean, the production yeah. is great. The added depth on the Cardassians is fantastic. I I mean, they are. The one thing I have a hard time buying is that the Cardassians would actually have uh, have taken over Bajor because the more we get to know them, I feel like they're just going to, you know, sort of eat themselves at some point. Mm -hmm. Although, I mean, you could make analogs to the Soviet Union, certainly, and they were expansionists. So stuff about the Cardassians is kind of incredible. Um, The talk of terrorism is oversimplified, I think. And and I'm going to say it more bluntly than you. I wish we hadn't wasted Thomas Riker. Mm. There was more to think about with Thomas Riker before this episode. You could always wonder what happened to that character. What would that character be like? What would that character do? Right. Or you could have not sent him to a labor camp for life. Either one of those things would have been fine. There's a lot to consider there. And we're not going to do that. We're going to use him. I mean, honestly, he sort of is used to further the Cardassian plot along. And yes, it's kind of an interesting thing. And yes, it's great to see Jonathan Frakes uh, playing, you know, one or both of the Rikers. Um, but his motivations are muddy. I mean, and 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 in the end, he's just gone. And that's kind of a drag. Yeah. But then with that weird kiss at the end as well, it's like, I mean, this is a character. Ugh. This is a character that we lived with for seven years. William Riker is a character that we lived with for seven years. You almost get an Elseworlds thing in that there's a Thomas Riker. And then, you know, Deep Space Nine grabs him and goes, and we're done. I mean, he's snuffed yeah. out. He's snuffed out in no time. So that's um, that's kind of a drag. So, yeah, I'm with you. I mean, there's a lot about this episode that I like. 
it's a well-produced episode. It's a well-put-together episode. And uh, and they wasted a character that had a lot of potential, I think. You know what? I, I'm actually going to give them uh, a lot of credit, though, for uh, having a character like Thomas Riker come back. I think there would be a temptation there to try to overdo that character and have, uh, well, we got Freaks on set. We need to have another split screen with William Riker dressing down Thomas Riker and telling him where he screwed up. Mm -hmm. Or we need to have uh, Picard somewhere on a comm channel uh, uh, deciding to, for whatever reason, come back and get Thomas Riker. You know, I think there would be a temptation there to just make everything fit and and tie this guy back into Next Gen too much. But in this case, they just said, nope, we introduced him in that one show. He went off. That other stuff doesn't exist anymore for this character. Yeah. So he's got his own life and and he we will just deal with the consequences of his actions there. Yeah, I completely so. agree with that. I mean, that's that's what's so neat about Thomas Riker at the end of that episode. He's like, yeah, I can't get far enough away from you. Right. Yeah. I mean, that's pretty much yeah. his feeling about Willie Riker. He can't get far enough away from him. So he's going to go off and do his own thing. Um, and and, you know, the possibilities were endless until they ended them. Anything else, sir, that you would have picked up? Sorry, I sort of I did that thing that I do where I melded like the production side of it with the message side of it and all that as well. Uh, were there any messages or, or other sort of more heady things that you uh, that you picked up from the episode? You know, it was such a small thing. I mean, like, like you said, they glossed over the the terrorism discussion. Uh, it it really didn't become what the episode was about. Mm-hmm. Um, so if if we have a moral crisis in the episode, it's Thomas Riker deciding what to do. But a lot of those decisions are made for him. So it, we don't really get deeply into that either. But I, I, there's that scene. I, I made light of it earlier uh, where Gold Ducat is talking about taking uh, – Little Mikor, little eleven-year-old Mikor, to uh, to the amusement park, and um, that's such a it, it's a great bit of dialogue for uh, Marco Limo, and and it's a nice intimate scene between him and uh, Cisco, and what he says at the end of that, as they're discussing uh, the the reality of the the military slash political situation they're in, and Ducat says. No, what, what's going to happen here is that my son will look back on this day with hatred uh, because this is the day that a Starfleet ship came to invade his home. Now, it didn't get that far. It didn't go there. But that that's the worry. That's the reality. And there's something really chilling about that, the idea that this is how that groundwork is laid for these deeply rooted animosities that something happens and then forever and ever you can just say like, yeah, this is how it'll go. My kid will grow up forever hating this day, forever hating those people. And I just wanted to say, oh, but maybe you can correct that. (laughs) Maybe, you know, you may not want to be here, Goldicott. You may feel bad for, uh, for breaking your promise to your kid. But um, is there a part of you that can reason with them and say, hey, what we did was important and we saved others from being hurt or killed because of our actions? And we did that because they are not our enemies. Uh, So maybe there's just a little a little glimmer of hope that I have from that. What I thought was a really, uh, really a a touching and intense uh, scene in this episode. 
Mission Log is produced by Roddenberry Entertainment. Executive producer Rod Roddenberry. Have you checked out everything on the Roddenberry Podcast Network? Like Mission Log, Mission Log Live, Women at Warp, Priority One, The Trek Files, and Daily Star Trek News. The place to find it all is podcast.roddenberry.com. If you'd like to support Mission Log directly, that'd be neat. Patreon.com slash Mission Log is the place to do that. For more exciting Star Trek podcasts, be sure to check out Trek FM at trek.fm. And for the latest in Star Trek news and discussion, be sure to visit trekmovie.com. On the next Mission Log, Fascination. Some of the music for Mission Log provided by Warp 11, online at warp11.com, and from the album Messages by Key Theory, free to download at kitheory.com. If someone does not cock an eyebrow and say, fascinating, at least once next episode, I will be filing a complaint. Transmission. Podcast.roddenberry.com. The Roddenberry Podcast Network.